As far as the retirement league thing, name me one team that's not one of the elite super clubs in EPL, uh, La Liga, Bundesliga, or Serie A that wouldn't jump at the chance to sign 2018's Latan for $1.5 million a year. There's not a single one of them, and yet nobody would call them retirement leagues. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we were talking about the man, the myth, the legend that is Zlatan. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. We'll also have our World Cup Date segment and so much more. But as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mr. Mossy? I am very good. Uh, taking a break from the soccer jerseys this week to rock my Michigan Wolverines gear. Yes, so you are, for those that cannot see, wearing a uh, Wolverines of Michigan football, American football jersey yeah, right Yeah, the, the one sport we're not good at, but okay. it's all I have to represent. <laughs> Who, whose jersey is this that we're uh, looking this at here? Is Number 32. Uh, Anthony Thomas, the A-Train, former running back. Uh, at Michigan. But the story is basketball. I was at the Staples Center both Thursday ah, and Saturday, yes. watched us secure a Final Four berth. Uh, you guys times. are in the Final Four of yes. the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, I hear that you're playing an underdog uh, that involves not just the team on the court, but also this uh, Agnes Gertrude Saint. Uh, what is her name? What's, uh, what's the person that I'm talking about here? Well, the school is Loyola Chicago. They are the Cinderella Power of the tournament. Of Loyola Chicago. And yep. uh, they have this school chaplain, Sister Jean, 98 years old. Doesn't look a day over 95. <laughs> but so she's their good luck charm. The Wolverines cannot possibly mess this up, right? I mean, this is... This and it's ironic. We have a coach, John Beeline, who I love, who's the only coach in major college basketball that doesn't have to go to confession after every game, that actually runs a clean program. So it's ironic we're now facing Sister Jean. John Beeline, very religious man as well. So it's there's a lot of stuff going on with this match. So you heard it here first. The Wolverines of, uh, of Michigan are the only clean program in... Profe- or in not professional, in uh, amateur sports uh, out there, right? That is correct. Okay, good. All right, well, good luck to your uh, to your Wolverines. When do they play? When does this game happen? Saturday. Saturday. Good luck to the Wolverines. Let's get this thing started. You ready? Yep. All right. As always, we begin with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, indeed, it is the State of the Union. This is what I have to say about the state of American soccer today. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is coming to the Los Angeles Galaxy. Now, this is the type of super club signing that the Galaxy has built their brand upon over the years. And let's be honest, it's a signing they had to make. Coming off their worst season in history and faced with the nouveau riche noisy neighbors of LAFC moving into the market, the Galaxy had to do something big and bold to remind everybody of their relevancy and their status as the OG when it comes to soccer in LA. But given his age, 36, And coming off a serious knee injury, the inevitable cries of retirement league echo in response to this signing. But anyone who follows MLS recognizes that's a lazy analysis of the league in 2018. But regardless, Zlatan is a special case. There isn't a first division soccer league in the world where you wouldn't find teams that would jump at the chance to sign 2018 Zlatan. Such is the power of stardom. And make no mistake, Zlatan is a star. Now, he's not Beckham, but nobody is. Apart from, say, Messi, Ronaldo, and maybe Neymar, he's still the biggest name in the game. He sells tickets, jerseys, sponsors, and creates mainstream attention. But will he score goals and help the Galaxy win? That's where Galaxy coach Ziggy Schmidt comes in. And if he's able to integrate Zlatan into this rebuilt work in progress of an LA Galaxy team, it will be his finest hour. 
Zlatan will do the business off the field. Now we'll see if he can do the business on it. And that is my State of the Union. All right, Mossy, thoughts on Zlatan? Well, to be clear, I think this signing is a no-brainer. I get why everybody's excited about it. But I do think the last 12 months have at least opened the door if somebody wants to take the negative view on this. 12 months ago, Zlatan was the star striker for Manchester United. He was on pace to score 30-something goals in all competitions last season. So if MLS had announced this signing in March of 2017, there was nothing that anybody could say. You're getting a guy that's not only a big star, but who's still on top of his game, delivering on the field. Then he had the injury. He was out seven, eight months. He came back, and the few times he played for United this season, he did look frankly awful. I have to admit, I found myself thinking Zlatan might be finished here. And then he went on the shelf again and has been uh, out of action for a couple of months. And there's this sense that Mourinho had kind of moved on from him and didn't think he could contribute anything this season, which was sort of confirmed by the fact that United let him out of his contract and let him come to MLS right away. So I think he'll perform, but there's at least a question mark there. And there's at least an opening for some people to say, here we go again with MLS, signing a guy that's uh, pretty much done at the highest level and now coming to MLS at the end of his career. I I would agree if the money was such that you're saying, oh my goodness, this is an incredible amount of money. The LA Galaxy have gotten Zlatan Ibrahimovic for $1.5 million for the next two years, so $3 million total. He's not a designated player. They used targeted allocation money to make him a TAM uh, type of signing here. So I think the business of it works out for them, and I think on the field, that's where the question is going to be. How do you integrate him into this team? Now, uh, from a Ziggy Schmidt standpoint, You've spent the entire offseason cleaning house and bringing in a whole new team. You have Ola Kamara, who you went out of your way to position as the player up top who's scoring goals. He scored uh, a a hat trick for Norway uh, in the international break. So this is a guy that is the man in terms of the goal scoring machine up top. How do you fit him in? Do you play two up top? Do you change to three in the back? That's up to Ziggy Schmidt uh, to figure out. Now that's the on the field part of the equation. And by the way, if Ziggy Schmidt and company don't figure this out, it would not surprise me in the least if Ziggy Schmidt was a casualty from the Zlatan uh, signing. Because when it comes down to it, and it doesn't go well, there's only one person that it's going to go, that's going to go, and it's not going to be Zlatan. The other, the other part is the off-the-field part of the equation. Now, the Galaxy will have benefited many, many years ago, Mossy, before you were born, the LA Galaxy signed a player named David Beckham. But who was the GM that made that ridiculous I know, it was ridiculous. Don't worry, he got fired later on. <laughs> but the Galaxy went through this incredible hurricane of signing a player that was larger than life, a player that was more popular and more famous and drew more attention than any player they'd ever done in, in their history. And it created problems. It created problems on and off the field. So... F- they learn from this. And my advice to the Galaxy, and they don't, they don't need my advice because I, they will have figured this out. And if they don't, then they're bound to repeat the same mistakes twice, is that no player is bigger than the club. Even Zlatan, even Zlatan with a lion. He is still not bigger than the club. The players will come and go, including Zlatan, even those global stars like Zlatan, but the club is what remains. Also, my other advice to them is pick and choose your fights and don't cede traditional powers to this player. And when I say this player, it's not always just the player. It's the player and the entourage and this group and the managers and the handlers that oftentimes can kind of infiltrate and infect everything that's going on. you got to make it very clear that while you are an important player, you are just one player. And that is not easy to do. That, my friend, is management. And that's what's uh, the biggest task, I think, when it comes to someone like Ziggy Schmidt. Yeah, the retirement league stuff is way off base. You can't make every move 
MLS does a referendum on the league. The trend is clearly t- towards signing younger DPs. All the numbers bear that out. So if you add a player like this once in a while, uh, th- to me, that's okay. I do think he needs to be judged first and foremost by what he does on the field. Uh, I love Kaká to death, but I grew a little frustrated. Anytime I tried to have a discussion with MLS folk about whether Kaká's signing was a success or not, and I tried to bring up on the field stuff, well, his team didn't make the playoffs in three years. His numbers were good, not great. They told me, no, no, it doesn't matter. He was a great ambassador for the league. He sold tickets, so it was a success. And I think you have to move past that at some point, and you need to judge players first and foremost by what they do on the field. And, and as far as the retirement league thing, name me one team that's not one of the elite super clubs in EPL, uh, La Liga, Bundesliga, or Serie A that wouldn't jump at the chance to sign 2018's Latan for $1.5 million a year. There's not a single one of them, and yet nobody would call them retirement leagues. So if this guy is valued still for what he can do, and I recognize that he's valued not just for what he can do on the field, but also what he brings off the field. There's a reason why people sign players, and it's not always about the goal scoring. Sometimes, a lot of times, there is a promotional element. Take a look at Landon Donovan, for, for example. It's not just American players, and it's not just American leagues uh, that do that, that recognize the power of stardom and how to harness that from a competitive side on the field, but more importantly, from a business side off the field. So where does this rank for you in terms of most exciting signings in MLS history when you factor in the star power, the talent of the player? Where do you put this? I put it at number two behind David Beckham. Behind Beckham? Um, because uh, of the- Above Kaká, Pirlo, Villa, Thierry Henry, all those guys? Yeah, because because of his personality and because of his character, which he has that that beautiful- ego and that beautiful arrogance that I love from players. And people will be as interested in what he says and does off the field as what he does on the field. And that, that to me is the definition of a star. He is a performer. He is an entertainer. And for those that have followed me for any length of time, understand that those types of human beings are near and dear to my heart. But he also recognizes the important balance. You can, you can have all the character and personality you want, but if you don't back it up on the field, which is what he has done consistently every single place that he has been, if you don't back it up, then you are to, to, to continue with the, the lions and tigers and, and circus theme, then you are just a circus performer. Yeah, the, the money stat with him is 13 league titles with six different clubs, and I'm counting the Juventus forfeited ones. And yeah, before Neymar came along, I think Neymar has clearly assumed this mantle. But before that, for a time, Zlatan to me had the unofficial title of best player in the world not named Messi or Ronaldo. Uh, so no, he's a, he's a transcendent talent. I do think some of the bluster the last couple of days, the fact that he hasn't played the last 12 months, it didn't hit me the same way. I usually get a kick out of that stuff, but there was a little bit of let's wait and see. But as soon as he gets on the field, scores a couple of goals, then he can go back to all the Zlatan stuff and I'll get a kick out of it the same way I always did. Well, we'll end it here. And you mentioned on the field because uh, by all accounts, he is arriving this week in Los Angeles. He will be available for the Los Angeles Galaxy this weekend. When we bring to you on Big Fox, Bart Simpson Fox, uh, Homer Simpson Fox, the first matchup between the Los Angeles Galaxy and LAFC. Tune in uh, for what is happening on the field because these are two very, very interesting teams right now. And with this, we're calling it El Trafico right now, evidently, is what the matchup, this big rivalry is called. And it just got that much more important and interesting with the arrival of Zlatan. Will he, well, we know he's going to be there, but will he actually step on the field uh, this weekend? Tune in and find out on Saturday on Big Fox. Moving on, you know it, you love it. Mossy makes the case. Ah, yes. You know it. You love it. All right, David Mossy, what do you have for us this week? 
Alexi, we're taping this on a Monday. A couple hours ago, Uruguay defeated Wales 1-0. And over this international break so far, there have been seven friendlies played between a European and a South American country. And South America is 7-0. Now, that means very little to me, but it did get me thinking about this summer. And my case this week is that one of the fascinating subplots of this World Cup is the pressure on South America to finally win one. Now, as you know, I am South American. I can tell you that is a proud region filled with people who are old enough to remember when the best South American players actually stayed in their home countries and the best South American clubs were as good as the best European clubs. And they've been very dismayed by this trend over the last 20, 30 years where at club level, the center of the universe is now Europe. Mm -hmm. But they could at least cling to the fact that at the international level, it was still pretty even, that South American countries felt like they were still producing just as good of players. And the reason European clubs were better was in large part because they were signing those players. But when everybody played for their country, it was still still a level playing field. And actually, throughout most of World Cup history, it's been this sort of back and forth thing between Europe and South America winning it. But Europe have now ripped off three in a row. The last South American team to win it was Brazil in 2002. That made it 9-8 South America at the time. But since then, Italy 2006, Spain 2010, Germany 2014. Germany became the first European country to win it in South America and beat Brazil and Argentina along the way. So I think there's a lot of pressure now heading into 2018, a World Cup which is in Europe. The only South American team to win it in Europe was Brazil way back in 1958 in Sweden with a 17-year-old Pele. Heard of him, So yep. I think this is a fascinating sort of big picture subplot of this tournament. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Germany being the first European team to do it in 2014 to go in there and to... Uh, and I remember when we were broadcasting it, uh, talking about that constantly and seeing, was this going to be the moment when it changed? And not only did it change, but certainly from a Brazilian perspective, <laughs> it uh, it was with authority, uh, <laughs> with the uh, the seven to one. So, okay. So let's uh, let's remind everybody the uh, the five teams: Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, and Uruguay. All right, Masi, give me the chances of anybody but Brazil or Argentina winning the World Cup. Well, right? that has been the issue, that it's been just Brazil and Argentina realistically carrying the flag, while in any given World Cup, you have four or five European countries that you feel like have a realistic chance to win it. And that's probably the case this summer, although I'm going to make a case uh -oh, for... I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. This is going to be my sub-case this okay. week. I'm going to make a case for Uruguay as a sleeper, to the extent that a country that's won it twice and got to the semis in 2010 can be considered a sleeper, but I'm sneaky high on this Uruguay team. Tim Vickery, who's this excellent writer for the BBC kind of stole my thunder on this. He wrote a great column a couple days ago about it that everybody should go read. But an interesting thing, interesting things happened with Uruguay. At one point in qualifying, this team had been reduced to Godin and Jimenez at the back, Suarez and Cavani up front, and not much else. The midfield was a bunch of aging journeyman guys. But in the meantime, they were having all the success at youth level. So their longtime coach, Oscar Tabaras, to his credit, realized there's not enough quality here. We need to throw some of these kids in. We need an injection of talent. And he's done that, and it's paid off. And all of a sudden, Uruguay have all these exciting young players, the Maxi Gomez, the Federico Valverdes, the Lucas Torreira, the Rodrigo Bentancur, Arascaeta, Nandez at Boca Juniors. So there's a nice little blend of youth and experience here all of a sudden with the Suarez and Cavani's and Godin's. Uh, so I think Uruguay Easy are actually a threat too. to go Easy far. Group. Easy group. They are crisscross with the Portugal-Spain group, so they're probably going to have to face one of those two in the round of 16. If it's Spain, that's trouble. Spain are my pick to win the whole thing. But if it's Portugal, I actually think Uruguay would have an excellent chance to beat Portugal and go far in the tournament. So Uruguay would be, I agree, it's most likely down to Brazil, Argentina, if you want a South American team to win it. But I think Uruguay are a sneaky sleeper pick as well. But as far as your Mossy makes the case, 
you're not saying you're saying that Uruguay is a sleeper pick to win the World Cup? Yes. Wow. Colombia, wow. Colombia and Peru, I think can get out of their group, but are not any threats to no. win it. Brazil and Argentina, as always, are, are contenders to win it, and then Uruguay is sort of in that in between. But I would actually push them closer to the Brazil Argentina group than Colombia, Peru. I would uh, look. I, I'm not. I'm not buying Uruguay, uh, especially not to to challenge for the World Cup. It's still going to be come down to Brazil and Argentina. I think that seven to one is going to, to going to propel them with or without Neymar and the opportunity to do what to do what happened in 2014 to do it on European soil uh, to do it four years after what happened to them individually. I think that is going to motivate a team a team like Brazil. But I I still I mean if I had to put money on either a South American team winning or a European team winning. It's going to be a European team. And that would be four in a row. Right. So coupled with their dominance at club level, do you think we'd reach a point here where th- there's any illusion of there being some like rivalry between those two regions is done? Europe just reigns supreme? I think when it comes to the World Cup, yes. Now, when it comes to talent and individual talent and plumbing the uh, incredible talent that exists over there, that's going to keep – that pipeline is not changing. So they recognize their individual talent over there with that they will continue to pluck off because uh, they're smart in doing that. But as far as the actual teams, no, I think it's still going to continue uh, from a European perspective. All right, in closing, we learned that you think that Uruguay is going to win the 2018 World Cup. You think that Mr. Vickery plagiarized from you. What else uh, did we learn? Anything else? Is that basically the two things, right? Yeah, and I don't even think we learned anything there with those two things. <laughs> All right, Mossy makes the case each and every week. I love it, Mr. Mossy. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Yes, it is time for our Ask Alexi segment, the segment where you send us your questions with the hashtag Ask Alexi, and then if you're lucky, we will read them on air. All right, Mr. Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? All right, first up, at Leprechaun92, uh, thoughts on Kristen Press which uh, the story there is she was traded to Houston of the NWSL but didn't want to go there. And I guess today there's been some resolution in that situation? Yes, she has announced that she is going back to her team in Sweden for what looks like the next three months. Uh, Sweden was one of the places where there was an open window, so she was able to sign. So this was a massive draft day three-way trade that happened, sending uh, Carly Lloyd from Houston to New Jersey, sending... Sam Kerr from New Jersey to Chicago and sending Kristen Press to Houston. The Lloyd part of it, Lloyd's going home. She wants to live with her family in the place where she grew up, uh, so she's happy. Kerr, for at last I heard, is everything's fine. She's, uh, she's off to uh, the Windy City. The problem was that Kristen Press uh, was not, shall we say, thrilled about the prospect of playing in Houston. Kristen Press, an undeniable talent and certainly someone that we as U.S. national team fans are looking to in the future. She is also signed not necessarily with the NWSL because she's a national team player, not to get too much in the weeds. She is signed by the United States Soccer Federation. And these national team players, there has been a history of them having a say in where they want to go. Houston, as we mentioned, is not a place that she wants to go, so she has been holding out, not reporting to Houston. Houston did this trade with the understanding that she would play there. Now, they never talked to her 
personally, which at times can be a problem, but you have to navigate through a situation where you don't want to tamper, but you got to get assurances, which Houston claims they got. Uh, but ultimately, this is not a place she wants to go. She wants to go more west. She could not force it and did not have that type of leverage where uh, an opportunity came. So now you find a situation where for Houston and for the NWSL, this is a situation where Kristen Press, after the news today, is not even involved in the league because she did not want to go to Houston. Mossy, look, uh, you have to know your value and you have to know how to leverage that value. But you also have to recognize that in any lifetime, let alone in any type of career, you are going to have moments where you got to suck it up and you have to go to places that maybe aren't your favorite place in order to continue doing the things that you love. And you have to make the best for maybe a short period of time or maybe even for a longer period of time. She did not, obviously did not want to do that. The only loser in all of this is Houston because they have a player that doesn't want to be there that they thought was going to replace an icon in Carly Lloyd. They have a situation now where all the other teams know that this player doesn't want to be there. And so when they go and try to at least attempt to find a trade for fair market value, they're not going to find that. And so they're left in a situation where they're looking at this saying, what do we do now? Well, obviously, you lost a player and you didn't gain a player. That's not good. They will retain her rights if and when Kristen Press decides to come back. But I think that this is a, an important point in terms of players showing what they believe is their leverage and maybe from an NWSL perspective, the league showing that, you know what, going forward, this separation of players that are signed with the league and then players that are signed with USSF can be problematic and, cre and can create problems. But it's not going away because one of the reasons why that was done was to get the quality and to be able to pay for the quality to stay and prop up this league that has gone well, that has been successful relative to other women's professional soccer leagues out there. So this is, this is, this is going to be a very interesting case going forward if and when Kristen Press decides to come back to the United States, come back to NWSL, how it plays out. Because you're going to be right back where you started, where Houston's going to want, if not the player, then fair value for that player. And if they don't get it, then we're just going to continue to be uh, talking about Kristen Press, not as a player who's playing on the field, but a player who is holding out off the field. Gingerbread underscore man. Is Mohamed Salah having the best debut season in Premier League history? Now, to be clear, he played in the Premier League for Chelsea before, so I think uh, he means debut season yeah. for a particular club. Yeah. Um, with all due respect right? to ginger, gingerbread underscore man, to me, the more interesting question with Salah right now is who should win PFA Player of the Year this year, him or right. Kevin De Bruyne? Do you have a take on that? Uh, for the longest time, it seemed like De Bruyne was the odds-on favorite because of what he's done individually and what Manchester City has done as a team, but a lot of people think Salah's been so incredible that he's now making a good case for himself. Take De Bruyne out of his team and take Salah out of his team. It's the most valuable player as far as I look at it. So the value to your team. And I know when, when you are given your criteria, or not given your criteria in this case, you get to make it up. When I do an MLS MVP, I look at the most valuable player as the guy that scores the most goals because there's nothing more valuable in our sport than scoring goals. And so he's got, what, 28 goals in league play. He scored over the weekend with Egypt. I can't wait to see him with Egypt this summer in the World Cup. I think whether you say, does, does the team suffer more when you take one player out or whether you use my criteria, where it's, look, it's, it's the most goals you score. Either way, Mo Salah, I think for me, is the MVP when it comes to the EPL. 
Now, Alexi, as you know, before we started this podcast for real, we did a couple of practice shows, and one of them was on the heels of uh, <laughs> Coutinho's move to Barcelona, right. and this was my point then, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up again here. Well, the, the folks didn't hear it then, so just act like it's, it's never been said before. The, the, the price they got for Coutinho was great. It was a no-brainer to sell him, but if Liverpool want to get back to the point where they're consistently challenging for major trophies, they have to become a final destination for world-class players, and their resolve, I think, is going to be tested again this upcoming summer because I'm getting the vibe that Real Madrid is going to come in for Mohamed Salah and offer some crazy amount. And it's going to be interesting, A, if they're willing to sell him, and B, where's his head at? Is he bought into what Klopp is doing there, or is he going to look at it the same way Coutinho did with Barcelona and say, you got to be kidding me, this is Real Madrid, of course I want to go. That's exactly what he's going to say, Mossy. So Liverpool fans are going to have their hearts broken again. And then they'll turn around and take that money and sign somebody else and be excited about that guy. And then a couple of years later, that guy will go to Real Madrid or Barcelona. You end up in this never-ending cycle where it's, it's tough to win like that. Well, until you step up and say, no, we're not doing it. We're going to keep all the greatest players here and we're going to win everything, which they're not. All right, they're not going to get through Manchester City, right, in, uh, in Champions League. They're not going to win the league. But I think when you look at what he has meant to this team, there's, it's un- so you would say De Bruyne's? If you had to go between the two? I think I'd go De Bruyne right now. Why? It's close. I, he's a wonderful player. I didn't too. say he wasn't a wonderful player, but just why, why is he more valuable to, to you as the most valuable player in that league than Mo Salah? I think you reward a guy on a team that's having historically great season. and He's, he's got better he's talent around player. him. It's a better team. It's easier for him. De Bruyne is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, it's debatable. I, if they gave it to Salah, I wouldn't be upset at all. It's a great player, huh? Yep. But he's not staying. Finally, <laughs> uh, Goggins underscore Matt. Thoughts on Joseph Martinez breaking the MLS hat trick record? So, who holds it now? What are we looking at here? Is it Stern John? Stern John. Oh, the legend that is Stern John. Now, keep in mind that whether it's Stern John or anybody else in, involved in the hat trick record, MLS hat trick record, they did it in a whole lot more games. This is a guy that's come in, and we know that Atlanta is only in its second year of existence, and this is a guy who's already challenging. Atlanta scores, scores for fun. They score in bunches. They entertain. They feed off of scoring. And this is a guy that I think has found a place that – caters to him in the way that he plays and it's only a matter of time before he not just breaks it but shatters it and goes well beyond he will continue to score not always hat tricks but he will get his hat tricks because of the way that this team plays the confidence in which they are playing and it's a it's a pleasure to watch when I watch Atlanta United and I know I am I am all aboard the Atlanta United train when I watch him I watch him with an expectation that this is going to be something entertaining, this is going to be something interesting, and most importantly, this is going to be a game where goals are scored. Now, as we saw early on, it can be a game where they score a bunch of goals, or it can be a game where they get a bunch of goals scored on them when Houston popped four on them at the very beginning of the season. But either way, once again, it's must-see TV for the entertainment value of this team, and he is a huge part of that. That is it. That's it. All right. Well, thank you for the questions, the Ask Alexi questions. You can get to us on Twitter, on Facebook, on any other social media platform out there. Uh, my Twitter is at Alexi Lawless. My Facebook is also Alexi Lawless. Uh, Mossy, your Twitter is what, just so the folks know? At Statman Mossy. At Statman Mossy. Are you on the Facebook, Mossy? Is anybody on the Facebook? 
Uh, I do. I have a depressing low number of friends, but I am on Facebook. <laughs> All right. Well, get some friends over there from Moss. He's a good guy. I'm telling you. He's a really, really good guy. He deserves friends, both in the digital form and in the human form. But regardless, uh, use that Ask Alexi hashtag, and who knows? Maybe David Mossy will be reading your question in a future episode of State of the Union. All right, moving on. World Cup Update. Yes, it's time for our World Cup update. Our World Cup date, if you will. Everybody on Twitter is screaming and yelling at me to call it the World Cup date. So there you go. You got your... Look, I am, I am but a puppet. You tell me to, to dance, and I will dance for you. Our World Cup date, if you will. All right, Mossy, uh, what is going on? All right, uh, this week we're going to delve into France, who are loaded with talent. And at one point in this cycle, we're sort of a trendy pick to win this World Cup. But I think there's a growing sense that the whole might not equal the sum of the parts there. They lost a friendly to Colombia a few days ago, which in and of itself isn't that big a deal. But it just the way they lost it just fit this larger it's narrative way, yeah. that there's something off with that team. So we'll get into the players. But uh, what do you think? Uh, is, is France a legit contender to win this World Cup? So this is what France is going to do. Either they're going to win the World Cup or they're going to bomb out spectacularly in the group stage because of either something that they do or don't do on the field or something off the field that then... Uh, influences in a negative way what they do on the field. And we've seen it before. I think this is a mental thing. This is a mentality type of problem that France has. That that sinking feeling that I'm sure all French players now have that, uh-oh, here we go again. It's almost as if it's uncontrollable. They can't control the problems that they create on their own, either during a game or, as I said, leading up to the game, in fighting, but it's it's not a lack of talent. I mean, the, on paper, we all we always talk about on paper. Look, just the, the game that you were talking about earlier, that they completely... France is not supposed to France until the World Cup, and yet they did it this weekend, winning 2-0 and then letting three goals in, for having Colombia beat them for the first time ever. And you should have seen the response from the Colombians uh, on all of our timelines. It was as if they won the World Cup. And it was a huge, huge deal. Not just the opponent, but the way in which they came back. But when you look at this France team, Hugo Lloris, all right, Verani, Umtiti, Koscielny, Pogba, Kante, Matuidi, Rabio, Griezmann, Giroud, Mbappe, Dembele, Martial, Ben Yedder. I mean, it, it, is, it is ridiculous the amount of talent that this team has, and yet somehow when they put Le Bleu on, they become this, this, this team that can't function as a sum of their parts, and it is maddening. It must be maddening even internally for them because I'm sure they have doctors and whether it's real doctors or, or witch doctors or anybody coming in to try to figure out from a mental standpoint how to get over this. Because right now, psychologically, they have to be going into this World Cup saying with, with a sense of impending doom and dread of that doom descending on them as it has now for multiple World Cups. Oh, you're so fired up, you just took your glasses off in the middle of that. When, when someone takes their glasses off, Masi, you know that it is seriously. And when they shake it at you, I know people can't see it right now, but I'm shaking my glasses, my cheaters, my magnifiers here at Masi. So you know that I'm fired up about France. All right, well, let me tell you what I like about this team. Their center back pairing will be much better at this World Cup than it was at the last Euros. Varane missed the Euros due to injury, and Umtiti hadn't grown into the player that he's become. He was a late injury replacement for Jeremy Matu at the Euros. Now he's a lock starter. I think it's going to be Varane and Umtiti, which is a terrific center back pairing. And then the other thing is Mbappe, who disappointed me in those two matches against Real Madrid, but I'm still on the page that this is a transcendent talent. He's the most remarkable thing I've seen at that age since the Brazilian Ronaldo. 
And so he might just go Pele 1958 on us and just this could be his coming out party. I think he's an exceptional talent. Now, here's what uh, I don't like about this team. And I know he scored against Colombia, and I saw the stats about him moving up the scoring charts for France. I cannot believe Olivier Giroud starts on this team. And I mentioned this when we talked about Germany. I'm not a fan of these big, lumbering target strikers. I think the game is moving away from that. And they have the potential to have such a more explosive, dynamic team. I would play Griezmann at the nine, flanked by Mbappe and, let's say, Ousmane Dembele or any of those guys you mentioned. Martial Kingsley Comano, you didn't even mention because he's injured right now, but another player to throw into that mix. And for Christ's sake, Didier Deschamps, play Pogba in a more advanced position. Give him freedom. I can't go through what we just went through with Man United and then deal with the same thing at the World Cup. So I would play Griezmann as the 9, Pogba behind him as the 10, Mbappe and let's say Ousmane Dembele, something like that. An explosive lineup full of, you know, I don't need Olivier Giroud up there and them crossing balls for him and him trying to head them. And to me, that's such a waste of all that talent you have around them. So that's where I'm at with do, France do right now. Do you see what has happened? you see what Didier Deschamps, and look, it's not just Didier Deschamps. It's, it's what Didier Deschamps, it's what Laurent Blanc, it's what Raymond Dominique. Do you see what they have done? Do you see what they have done, done Mossy? Because they are such a frustrating team with undeniable talent, they have reduced you to somebody who curses on a podcast, all right, when talking about them. That's how riled up you have gotten about uh, this French team. Let's cut to the chase, though. Do they succeed this summer? And when I say succeed, I mean they don't have to win the World Cup, but do they do more than they have done in the past? And at the end of the World Cup, everybody looks around and says, hey, you know what? We didn't implode. We didn't start screaming and yelling. We didn't uh, get angry at each other or at our coach. We, we won a bunch of games. We did well in our group. We advanced to whatever it ends up being, the semifinals and stuff like that. And and, and in general, we consider it a success. Do you think that happens? They did find a happy middle ground in 2014. You're, you're right. From 98 through 2010, it was this Jekyll and Hyde. 98 won it, 2002 group stage, 06 final, 010 group stage. Then 14, they got to the quarters. They lost a hard-fought game to Germany at the Maracanã. So I'm looking for something similar. They're quarterfinals and then face a better team. If they run into a Brazil, Germany, Spain, and they lose, then it's not a, a, a failure. It's just, you know, they... Uh, so I, I'm looking for something like that. So you don't think they bomb out spectacularly no, no. like in the past? No, I don't. All right, which for them would, would be a win. So let's be honest. All right, so, <laughs> all right looking forward this summer to seeing uh, France and what they do uh, or don't do. All right, moving on. The back three. All right, coming down the back stretch here with our back three. All right, Mossy, what do we got? Uh, the U.S. men's national team has a friendly this week against Paraguay in North Carolina. What's your overall uh, feeling about this match? Do you feel like the fact that they don't have a manager or GM in place makes this a rather meaningless exercise? Or are you going to look to gleam things from this game? I, I am torn because while I remain curious, especially for a Dave Sarakin-led team that I think is now much more reflective of this universal desire from the American soccer community to have a young and different type of team, which I think this is, until the GM, technical director, whatever position we're, the position is there, what we're calling it, I don't know, until that is filled and then the coach is filled, I'm left saying, why should I care? Because everything could potentially change. Dave Sarakin and the U.S. Soccer Federation right now could be saying, this is what we want to do for this game. That's fair. That's, that's all fine and well. But that new GM is going to come in and have a vision, and he or she is then going to hire the coach who is also going to be charged with implementing that vision on a day-in and day-out basis. 
and it might be completely different than where we are right now. So why should I care right now? And that's where I'm struggling. That's where I'm struggling uh, for this game. I'm going to watch it because I'm a junkie and because I want to try to glean some information on some of these players that maybe will be involved in that new vision. But until it's done, it's almost a, a, an, an exercise in futility because while it can, while it can show us some quality and some talent out there that maybe we want to choose. Once again, until the changes and the big changes are made, I, I, I'm not going to care that much, to be quite honest with you, Mossy. So this game is meaningless, and we should mention it's live on FS1. <laughs> I'm going to watch it. It's not meaningless to a lot of people, and there's a lot of people out there are excited uh, to see you know a guy like Timothy Weah uh, or, or, some, or, or different players play for this national team. So look, you, you get what, what you want out of it. But once again, everything could completely change come this summer. Next up, ESPN, the worldwide leader, conducted their annual MLS confidential poll. This was a survey of, of players yeah. anonymously. And a lot of interesting things came out of it. Let me hit you with some of them. Most overrated player in the league uh, was Giovanni Dos Santos with Michael Bradley, a close second. Uh, do you want to take these as we go along? Any yeah, thoughts just keep on going, that? keep going so people have an idea. Most underrated player was Ignacio Piatti. The player is overwhelmingly in favor of promotion relegation, but not in favor of switching to the international calendar. And there seems to be a big issue with the salary structure, this notion that it's top-heavy, these big foreign stars come in, they gobble up all the money, there's not enough left for everybody else. So out of what I just said, what, what jumps out all right, at so you? First, so first and foremost, Masi, about this actual article, which is now an annual type of thing, this is a wonderful representation of equal parts jealousy and cowardice. And I love every bit of it. It is clickbait. Well done to our colleagues over there. Uh, it is it is catnip. It is evergreen. It is the gift that keeps on giving. It drives content. It drives eyeballs. All that kind of stuff. So it's a it, it's a wonderful thing. I, I I'm interested, and I know this this conversation has happened as to. How many other leagues would this happen in? For example, because this is an anonymous poll, they get together 100 or so of the, uh, of the players in MLS, and they say, look, this is going to be anonymous. We might use your quotes uh, as long as they don't identify who you are. Uh, but the information that we use is all going to be anonymous, and which provides them maybe a level of honesty that, no, not maybe, uh, definitely a level of honesty that they wouldn't. First and foremost, uh, if it wasn't anonymous, how many of these guys w would have the courage and the you-know-what to actually say what they said? Very few, very few of them. And so that's where the cowardice comes in for me. It's, it's easy to take shots. The jealousy part of it is a lot of it, whether it's Michael Bradley or others, it's relative to the amount of money that they're making. It's not necessarily relative to how good a player they are. Now, I do happen to agree that Gio is the most overrated player given the money that he is making. So that's, that's a no-brainer. But when it comes to Michael Bradley, I, I, look, that's, that's just, once again, jealousy. And when it comes to the anonymous part of it, a cowardice. Because if, if you really believe that, then you should have the courage to say that out loud. And I will, I will support. It doesn't mean I have to agree, but I will support somebody coming out and saying, look, th this, this guy is overrated. They're not, they're not going to. But, but that's, that's my initial reaction to this, uh, this thing. It's, it, it's wonderful. I love it. Do, would you think that this would happen in any other country or any other league? I'm wondering if we did a Fox Soccer anonymous poll, who would be the most overrated employee in our Fox Soccer department. Oh, that could be fun, you. huh? Look at you. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd yeah. be wonderful. 
I'm, I'm sure you're probably looking at one of them right now. I have an issue. But, but once again, it would be about jealousy and cowardice. And I would want Mossy, Mossy or whoever else to come out and say, you know what? Alexi is the most overrated, overpaid, uh, ridiculous uh, personality on, on Fox at this point, right? That's what you want. But at least you would say it to me. You would look me in the eyes and say, this is what I think. And I would say, no, that's wrong. Maybe I wouldn't. I'd say, you're absolutely right. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, I certainly have an issue with the salary structure at Fox, so we can get to that. And, um, now, wait, the, the pro-rel thing, they were all in favor of pro-rel, right? It was 63-38. Yeah, so of course they are going to be in favor of pro-rel. Here's the, here's the problem. If you're not an owner, you don't get a say, all right? You don't get to tell people how they run their business. You might believe that pro-rel is the best thing. If you're an owner, then come out and say you're in favor of pro-rel. I haven't seen any MLS owners saying that they're in favor of pro-rel. So th that's, that to me is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm in favor of pro-rel as a player. Eh, that, you're not an owner. Go own a team and then change. Change from within. And by the way, 63-36, I just realized 63-38 is more than 100. That's a, a Michigan education. University of Michigan, Falter ladies and gentlemen, the Wolverines. Yeah. Who are they playing against? Chicago? Loyola, Chicago. <laughs> I, hate, I hate Cinderella stories. I need romance in my personal life, not my sports There we life. go. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's end on this. Kicker, which is a German publication, now reporting that Thomas Tuchel will be the Arsenal manager next season. The interesting thing here is Tuchel, as we know, left Dortmund, where he managed Christian Pulisic, actually gave him his. Uh, start there with the first team and he left under very contentious circumstances nobody disputes that his record was fine they played attractive football young players did well under him but it was just straight up a personality thing they couldn't stand him so they got rid of him and one of the guys he clashed with was the Dortmund scout at the time who's now at Arsenal so this one is a little bit strange to me he's a good coach uh, but on a sort of personality level I'm not sure this is the greatest fit what do you, what do you think well as far as a, a past problem um, this is this is entertainment, this is soccer, and so people will be able to get past that. What, what I, when, when you think Thomas Tuchel, the first thing that you, that you think is, God, what a sexy signing, right? No, not at all. It, there's, there is nothing sexy or interesting in this particular case because of what Arsenal has become in, in our consciousness about the potential of this change, this historic change coming, if it were to happen, Wenger out, if it were to finally happen, this thing that has been talked about now year after year after year, if it were to happen, and then they announce Tuchel. Wah, wah, wah. I, mean, that's, uh, I don't agree. Come on. Really? That's that's interesting to you? That's an exciting change for you? He wouldn't be my first choice, and he wouldn't be the sexiest choice, but he's a guy with pedigree. He took Dortmund to the Champions League quarterfinal. It's, it's not like hiring David Moyes, which is the point I've been making to Arsenal fans. Once Wenger leaves, you're going to go out and get another top manager. You're not going to settle for somebody like David Moyes, so I think that transition might actually be more of a success than the United one obviously was. I think Tuchel generally fits that bill of getting one of the top guys that's, that are out there. I mean, he's being linked with other big clubs, too, so he's Bayern, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger came out on our air uh, recently and said that that's his top choice to take over for Bayern after Heinke steps down. So uh, I don't know. Not so bad if you're getting a guy that Bayern are after as well. Yeah. Wow. Doesn't, doesn't, float, doesn't float my boat. I'm sorry. You, know? you have a high bar for sexiness, though. It's That's true. I, I, I'm not just going to you know, say something is sexy if it's not sexy, Mossy. All right? You got to bring the sexy, is what I'm saying. All right, well, and and Tuchel is not going to bring the sexy. He might bring the he might bring the wins, and in that there may be some sexiness. I don't know. All right, enough talk about sex, Mossy. Moving on, 
we are at the end. And at the end of each and every show, Mossy, you know we do our one big thing from today's podcast. My one big thing is going back to, yes, the man, Zlatan. He has made his way to Major League Soccer, to our shores. Is he going to change the way that we feel about Major League Soccer or the Los Angeles Galaxy? No. As I said in my State of the Union, he is not David Beckham. But... In this signing, I think it does a couple of things, and important things. It reaffirms that the LA Galaxy is and wants to be and wants to continue being this super club that does things that resonate even beyond the actual sport. That's important. Uh, The other part is that right now we are having a battle. We are having a battle for Los Angeles, the city in which we are broadcasting from, the city in which we live. It is a battle for hearts and minds. I know that there are LA Galaxy season ticket holders that have moved over to LAFC. They are fickle. This is a a city full of people that will be attracted to shiny new objects. And the LAFC brand with that new stadium and with the team that they have is going to be very, very attractive. And the Los Angeles Galaxy needed to do something big and bold. And I think this is important. As we said throughout our broadcast today, ultimately, Zlatan's going to get on the field. I think he's going to score some goals. I think he's going to bring the business off the field and bring the business on the field. And I think it's a good thing for the league, for the team, and ultimately, for all soccer people out there. All right, we come to the end of another episode of the State of the Union podcast. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, please hit us up on all the different platforms out there. Twitter, uh, for me, is at Alexi Lalas. For David Mossy, it is Statman Mossy on Twitter. Is that what it Correct. is? Correct, at Statman Mossy. At Statman Mossy. We have our uh, Facebooks. Mine is Alexi Lalas. You can hit us up on the Facebook for Fox Soccer, Facebook for Fox Sports. Also, hit us up with that hashtag Ask Alexi, so we may uh, read one of your questions on air going forward. It is always a pleasure. We will see you again next week on the State of the Union podcast. And as always, size the day.